Good morning. Uh, so excited to bring you today's message. Uh, we're continuing in our Scripture Talk series, and we're calling it Flawed Yet Faithful. We're taking it from Hebrews 11, and this is part number three in our series. And, you know, we have, um, in this series, our, our, our passage to ponder, it's, it's from Hebrews 11. And before we get into that, though, what, what we're doing is, you know, this series is based on some heroes of the faith, is what we're calling them. And, you know, the writer of Hebrews said that these people, they were real men and women, but they showed um, like great measures of faith, right? They did some really great things as they exercised their faith. But as we come to find out too, um, just like you and I, they had regrettable moments and they made some mistakes, you know, um, but still from our passage to Palmer in Hebrews 11, the writer says this, he says, all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. This is all the heroes of the faith that were mentioned earlier in Hebrews 11. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. And, you know, uh, the last couple of weeks, we, two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Kristen spoke about Abel and his life. And then um, uh, Pastor Al last week spoke about Enoch and his life. And those were uh, verses four, five, and six. And today we're going to talk about uh, the man Noah from Hebrews 11. And Hebrews 11, 7 says this. It says, By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that is in keeping with the faith, the word of the Lord for us. So Noah, he's a character that is just uh, famous in both Christian circles and in non-Christian circles, right? He's, um, he's been portrayed in film. Uh, the story of Noah and the ark and the great flood, that's a very common thing, um, commonly known thing in many parts of our culture. And, you know, you can't speak about Noah without talking about the great flood. And, you know, this flood is, is it's one of the hardest things for us to really fathom when we think about it. This has to be one of the tougher biblical stories to really comprehend and, and to believe, quite frankly. You know, um, it's this story of, you know, uh, uh, one man, Noah, being tasked to build a gigantic boat while God has caused a great flood over possibly all of the earth. So we're going to look at a little bit about it, and we're going to talk about that. Then we're going to go see um, some aspects of links, things we can learn from Noah from his great triumphs and things we can learn from Noah from some of his failures, right? So Genesis 7, it talks about the flood. Genesis 7, verses 17 says this, For 40 days the flood kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. That's an ancient measurement. That's about maybe 23 feet, almost 7 meters uh, above the mountains. It says, every living thing that moved on land perished, birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth, and all mankind. So this great flood story, is this just some sort of fantastical myth, or is it really what I'm calling disturbing history? You know, um, this is a story, as we said, as a flood that covered maybe the entire earth, maybe it was local, right? Those are different things that people will debate. 
And this is also a story about a man and his family that survived the flood because they were tasked with building a large, large boat, the ark. And you know, this flood, it destroyed everything. You know, the entire uh, biodiversity and ecosystem of the earth was forever changed. Human life, most human life was destroyed. And so, you know, this man was also tasked with, uh, you know, bringing uh, different animals as animals would come to him, animals of every kind to make sure that they had room on the boat so that the earth could continue renewed after the waters had abated. And, you know, there are similarities in this Genesis account to um, an account from a Babylonian myth. And so sometimes that brings the question like, maybe did the Bible just copy this story from this uh, Babylonian myth? But, you know, truth be told, there's actually hundreds, literally hundreds of similar great flood accounts. And they have their origins all over the world, right? From Asia, Europe, Africa, Australia, and the Americas. There are different flood accounts that seem very, very similar. And, you know, they all talk about this devastating flood. And so I'm going to quote from this website here, and it's called Got Questions. It's a popular uh, Christian website and answers some biblical questions. So I'm quoting, and they're talking about all the hundreds of flood accounts that we find in um, different cultural groups all throughout the land that have been passed on from generation to generation. So they say, of all the flood traditions which have survived to the present time, they say about 95% of them describe a global cataclysmic deluge. A deluge is a severe flood, right? So about 95% of them describe a global uh, cataclysmic deluge. 88% of them tell of a favored family of humans that were saved from drowning to reestablish the human race after the deluge. Two thirds say that the family was forewarned of the coming cataclysm, which Noah and his family was. Also, two-thirds, they blame the wickedness of men and women for the deluge. And about 70% record a boat as the means by which this chosen family uh, had survived and, had, had, and how animals had survived as well. So more than one-third of these traditions also mention that birds were sent out from the boat, which is something that Genesis says. Uh, Noah sent out both a raven and a dove at different times. So what do you think of this? When you hear this, you hear of all these different flood accounts. Is it possible that the Bible just copied it, or is there something more to it? I mean, in Genesis, it says that after the flood, every culture and people group descended from Noah and his family. So to me, what that would mean is that it would make sense that all these stories of this traumatic event, as the people groups start to disperse and spread all over the land, they share the story. They say the story of what happened. This is, this is the flood account that, my, that myself and my father survived, that my grandfather survived. They start to tell it generation down to generation and it spreads across the globe. And you know, it's amazing because all these flood accounts they actually survived that human tendency for embellishment and change. You know, if you've ever played the uh, telephone game, which is a game we played when I was younger. I don't know if kids play it today, but it was a game I played when I was younger. And, you know, someone would start here and then let's say there's 10 people in the line and the first person would say something like, um, you know, red is my favorite color. And then by number 10, it turns out to be um, strawberries are tasty. And it's like, well, how did that, how did that happen, right? Because as the story gets told, it just changes, right? You know, things, things change. But I believe the reason why there's so much similarities in all these cultural groups all over the world, I believe it's because this event was just so 
catastrophic, that it was told from generation to generation and it was preserved, you know, and very, very similarly so that people would know this is something that happened and this is something that I was told by my forefathers or that I witnessed, right? So, you know, one thing is certain though, this story in the Genesis account, it's remained through the ages, not only because of its magnitude, but also because of the human lessons that we learn from the man at the center of it, which is Noah. So let's look at some faith lessons we learn in Noah's triumph. You know, um, in Genesis 6, in verse 14, uh, this is God speaking to Noah. And he says, so make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Listen how specific God gets. He says, make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits high. So, okay, in modern dimensions, the arc was probably about like 510 feet long. It's about like one and a half NFL football fields. It's around 50, foot, uh, 50 feet high. So imagine like a four-story townhouse. And it probably had the same storage capacity of about 450 uh, semi-tractor uh, trailers, right? And you think of it like a standard livestock trailer probably can hold about 30 cows. So the ark could maybe hold as much as maybe 13,500 cows. It was huge. And there was actually a ship that was about around the same size in the 1400s as well. Um, but okay, let's, but let's go back. Um, so, you know, uh, 50 cubits and 30 cubits high, it says, make a roof for it, God says, leaving below the roof and opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has breath of life in it, that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your, and your wife and your son's wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them and for the animals. And then in verse 22, it says this, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty big to-do list. That's a pretty big task list. And it says Noah did everything as God had commanded him. The big faith lesson that I'm going to tell us about today that we learned from Noah is that faith is gritty. Uh, Angela Duckworth, she's the author of the book titled Grit, you know, and she says that grit is passion and perseverance for long-term goals. Noah's life shows that his faith involves grit. You know, so when you think of it, Angela Duckworth, she says that, you know, grit, it's, it's passion, perseverance, but she said it's not, um, it's not talent or it isn't even luck, right? She says that grit isn't even how intensely you want something for the moment, right? Because you might want something really badly for the moment, but it, it dissipates, the moment passes. Angela Duckworth says that grit is about having ultimate concern, a goal you care about so much that it organizes everything and gives meaning to almost everything that you do. 
So scholars believe that no, it took Noah maybe decades to build the earth. Um, remember, at that time, you know, humans had lived incredibly long lives, and Noah had his first son at the young age of 500. And you know, the flood though didn't happen until 100 years later. But when they enter the flood, uh, when sorry, when they enter the ark, um, 100 years later, it says that Noah and Noah's sons they all had wives. So. You know, if you take that, maybe they got married, let's say the, around the age of like 25 to 30 or so, as each of them got married, his three sons, um, then, you know, it could take Noah anywhere from really 50 to maybe 70 years to have built the ark for it to be ready. Noah has grit. He has just given this consistent effort and he's going to see his mission through. He's going to accomplish his life purpose. And, you know, Reggie McNeil, uh, the author of Practicing Greatness, he says that he says this, he says, great spiritual leaders understand that their mission is not something they invent. Rather, they realize that their life mission is something they discover. They believe God is the one who determined their life assignment. I mean, he didn't write that about Noah, but to me, that's Noah to a T. You know, he's discovered his life purpose and he's showing the grit needed to achieve it. And you know, there are so many things that can hold us back from our purpose and they're very subtle, but they can be devastating. They can throw us off course. And so, you know, grit, part of grit involves actually being relentlessly on the lookout for these things. I'm gonna call them these three things. We're gonna call them um, distractions, drains, and the detractors. Noah encountered each of these things. So a distraction, or, or let's, let's start off actually with a, um, with a drain, right? brain drains you know these are things that really they take away your mental clarity and they leave you with the inability to focus you know a big one uh disorganization that's a brain drain right you know if you have a task that you need to complete it's very hard to do so it's hard to even begin when you're disorganized right noah had to be incredibly organized in order to build the ark Noah, uh, you know, God gave him the specifications, but he needed to get the tools, the wood, he needed to help make the design, all of these things he needed to do. And, you know, I'm, I'm not um, uh, casting blame here. I've, I've been guilty of it. But, you know, when we're disorganized, it really does show us, uh, throw us off of our life course and our life purpose. Another important one, distractions, right? Think about it. Noah built the ark over decades. And in that time, there's lots of things to get distracted by. The culture itself can be a big distraction, and uh, Noah's culture certainly was, right? By all accounts in the Genesis story, um, Noah is living in a culture that is just consumed with lust and greed and corruption and every type of sin that so easily entangles us. And, you know, for us, we, we the culture can, for us can be a distraction as well. And, but the issue with us is that we live with a culture in our hand. The culture is accessible right here. The culture is always arms at arm's length from us. And you think of it, it can be a huge distraction. I love technology and I think it's great and we're using it now and we're, you know, there's a lot to be thankful for, but it can also distract us from things that we need to do. You know, notifications that are just always like calling to us and telling us to look. Look at me, look at me, look at me. That's something that we struggle with. And really, it's like this thing that it does to our brain, you know? It just, there's a dopamine hit to the pleasure center of our brain every time we look at our phones. There are studies that confirm this, right? And so, you know, we're building these habits that can really actually distract us. So what were, you know, social media, websites, games, those sort of things, 
we should be mindful of that because it could actually be keeping us from something greater. Uh, then, of course, uh, another thing that keeps us off our purpose are the detractors. And, you know, Noah would have had um, his fair share of detractors. You know, think of detractors as the negative people and they have this kind of energy sapping perspective that just takes you away from the life-giving energy that you need to achieve your purpose, right? Noah would have had tons of detractors. And, you know, if you think of it, Noah's name, his name actually means rest. And it communicates this idea of um, comfort or relief. And Lamech, which is Noah's father, he names Noah that, or, you know, and meaning rest or relief or comfort, because he says, he says, he will comfort us. This is Noah, my son. My son Noah will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed, right? This is really important. They're living in a time where names mean a lot. So when you name your son Noah, you're saying he's going to bring relief from the cursed ground. And people at that time, they would understand fully what he was talking about because it was Adam's sin, Noah's forefather, that had caused the ground to be cursed. And think of Adam in relation to Noah. Adam is about, he's Noah's great, great times seven grandfather. So not great grandfather, but great times seven grandfather. And so Noah would have heard this. Noah would have heard people around him saying these sort of things that, oh, you know, your dad named you Noah. You think you're going to actually solve and fix this problem of the cursed ground. When in fact, it was your family's fault that we're in this mess to begin with. He would hear these sort of things from the detractors. He would hear the same sort of things that would say, you're not going to amount to anything. You're going to fail just like your forefather Adam did. He failed, he sinned, so are you. It's pointless for you to try. These are the things that Noah would have been hearing. Noah realizes that, though, that his whole purpose is to participate, not in the creation of the world, but in the recreation of the world, of his, uh, and he's going to live up to his name. He's discovering that he's going to play a role in the reversal of the damage done by his forefather, Adam. And there were definitely people who told him that he wouldn't have made it, that would have said, uh, not only is he crazy, but it's pointless for him to try. You might have heard the same thing. Um, you know, you might hear your efforts are pointless whether it's pursuing that degree or launching a business or a ministry, you, you might hear from people it's not gonna work. You might hear from people that you're not gonna amount to anything just like your father or just like your mother or just like whomever. These are the things that Noah heard and you might've heard these things as well. But Noah shows us that building a huge ship over decades as he waited for the fulfillment of God's promise is grit, right? And that's the main faith lesson we learn. We have to exercise grit. It's a toughness that we need to do when we're exercising our faith as we wait, to things, wait for things to come to fruition. Now, there's so much of this story and we don't have the time to go over it, but um, I find this interesting though. You know, Jesus, as a, as a good uh, Jewish boy and man, he would have read this story countless times. And what do you think Jesus thinks of this story? Well, thankfully, he, he mentions it in, in the Gospel of Matthew. And we read it earlier. And, um, you know, so Jesus, uh, uh, this is what he says in Matthew 24. Uh, this is verse 36. He says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. He's talking about the day that he returns. Verse 37, he says, as it was in the days of Noah, 
so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man as when he, Jesus comes back. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. They were just living their lives up to the very day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So, he says in verse 44, you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Jesus' words here, they attest to the historicity of the great flood. It's so interesting. One of the interesting things about the flood account is that how, how meticulous it was and how specific it was in relation to Noah's life. The text indicates that Noah and his family spent about 370 days in the ark. Okay, so just a little over a year's time. And it also mentions uh, when the waters prevail over the land. It talks about when the waters abate on the land. It talks about when the, when the earth dries up. And it mentions all these things in relation to Noah's life. Give, give an example. Genesis 7, verse 11 and 12 say this. They say, look how specific this sounds. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, and look at this imagery, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of the heavens were opened and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus, so that's very specific from the Genesis account, but Jesus is also really specific about the flood account. He references the very day Noah entered the ark. He says, for in the days before the flood, people were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all the way. That is how it will be at the coming of the son, son of man. Jesus, you know, he often takes the most unbelievable stories in the Bible and he says that these stories are like previews. They're actually as historically relevant as, um, you know, from his death and resurrection to his second coming. You know, in Jonah, he says, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, he says, so also uh, will I be, will the son of man be in the ground for three days and then rise again, right? And in his second coming, he references Noah right here. So Jesus is saying, you know, that this flood account was as historically real as his return. And friends, we know this, the day of the Lord is imminent. Jesus is coming back and he's coming back at a time that we least expect. Jesus says the people were all unaware, just going about their lives until it happened. So Jesus says, hey, you know this flood account that's so hard for you to believe? Uh, this flood's as real as my second coming. As a matter of fact, Jesus says it's a preview of my second coming. And so it makes me think that when Jesus comes back, it will be sudden, it will be vast, it will be enormous, it will cover the land, and it's going to affect every single person and everything in the land will be affected by Jesus' coming back. But Jesus says that, you know, his coming back, the land will be cleansed. And Noah's, we get some indication that the land was cleansed um, during, after the flood. But there was one thing that the flood couldn't do, which was change the human heart. And that's what we find, that not everything has been changed. So in the end, Noah's legacy points us to a flood, points us to the flood as an eschatological preview. Dr. Van talked about uh, eschatology, the study of the last things in, in our last sermon series, YOLO. 
But what we learn from Noah is that it's very interesting. The, the man who played the main human role in the recreation of the land, he shows us that not everything can be recreated and restored, right? Because there's still sin in the human heart. And we see that, unfortunately, in Noah's life after the flood. So last thing we're going to go over. Lessons we learn through Noah's sin. Um, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 18, it says this. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham and Japheth. Then it says Ham was the father of Canaan. That's important. They're mentioning Ham's son early. You're going to do it twice. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth. All people came from them. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. See, it seems after the flood, uh, the land is now fruitful again, and you can actually um, create a vineyard and, and make wine. In verse 21, he says, when Noah, when he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, again, mentioning the father of Canaan, we're mentioning Ham's son, Noah's grandson. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders, across their shoulders. Then they walked backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. When Noah awoke from his wine and, find out, and found out what his young son, youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. Wait a minute, read that again. It, it, seems, what, it seems Noah, he, you know, we, we find here that Noah actually curses Canaan, which is not his son, it's his grandson. And, and Noah, we see in this moment, he, he walked faithfully with God for 600 years. He was the only one found morally righteous in all his generation. And the text said he found favor with the Lord because of this. That's something for us to know. That's important. He was the only one in his family whom the Lord spared from judgment because of his moral integrity, his character, his lifestyle. But here we find Noah. He's getting drunk and he embarrasses himself. And so there's, there's one thing there that... Um, that we find. So one lesson is that, you know, we're often vulnerable when the pressure's off. Noah's sin shows us that. And Noah's sin shows us that good men and women still sin. You know, sometimes if you're preparing for something like, um, uh, think of it if you're preparing for like a marathon or a really high intense physical activity, you train and you get ready and you're hyper-focused. And maybe you're, you're aware of like a spiritual trial that's coming up in your life and you might dedicate more time for worship or fasting or prayer and you feel um, uh, empowered actually to combat sin. But when that time comes and passes, that high moment comes and it passes, you know, the pressure's off. And sometimes we find in those moments we're actually most vulnerable to sin. Sometimes you start to think to yourself things like, um, you know, well, I've, I've been so good for so long. I, you know, I deserve this. Or, you know, one, one time, it's not really going to hurt. And unfortunately, when we have that way of thinking, it can really get us entangled in sin and some bad habits that can really just um, spiral us, really. So the lesson learned is don't let your guard down on these mountaintop or after these mountaintop moments, right? Keep praying to God earnestly. A related lesson that we learned for this, be careful when drinking, right? This is actually the very first time that the Bible mentions alcohol. It's the very first time it's mentioned. And the Bible doesn't prohibit alcohol, but it does warn of its dangers. In Ephesians uh, 5, in the NLT, it says this, the New Living Translation says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life, it says. It says instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Another lesson we learned. Um, we learned this. Our words have impact. They can bless or they can curse. Um, you know, Canaan, um, he's the son of Ham. So this is Noah's grandson. Canaan, he goes on to become the father of the Canaanite people. You know, they're named after himself. And the Canaanites, they become the enemies of the people of God. And don't get it wrong here. When, when Noah curses Canaan, his words aren't fatalistic, right? Like the words spoken us, they're not fatalistic as if um, Canaan just had no choice in the matter. He, he just lived that way. But at the same time, Noah's words didn't help though, right? And, and sometimes the words can really hurt. They don't actually help the situation. So, you know, our conduct and our words, they can have an impact on our children. And if you said something, uh, that's something that's regrettable. Just simply apologize for it and try to do better the next time. On the other end of it, some of us have had, some of you, some of us have had really grievous thin, things spoken over our lives, you know, um, but you want to remember this. You are not the worst thing that someone has said to you. You are loved by the Lord. You are a child of God. You put your faith in Jesus. You're a child of God. And you want to remember that. Another lesson learned. Um, we want to honor our parents even when they fail. And, you know, Shem and Japheth, the other two sons of Noah, they had a deep reverence and respect for their dad, and they showed it by their actions. And Ham, it, it, when you read it first, it seems a little bit unfair because you think, well, Ham, all he did was just tell his brothers that their father was drunk and naked in his tent. And you think, well, scholars really, they do debate on what exactly would happen, and we're not exactly sure, but whatever it is, it was really clear, though, that Ham's actions, they dishonored and they humiliated his father, Noah. And Ham seemed like he wanted to actually include his brothers in his father's humil humiliation. But unlike Ham, Shem and Japheth, they showed their love for their father. Because what does love do? Love covers a multitudes of sins. You see them, that imagery of them walking backwards so they wouldn't view their father in his shame and they place a blanket over him they cover him so an important thing exposing sin to shame others isn't loving if you're doing that just stop it right we don't expose sin to shame others and another thing that we should note too with this is you know just having godly parents doesn't actually make you a godly man or woman ham had a godly father in noah but he wasn't about that life he wasn't living it he was probably, by all accounts, quick to laugh at and sneer at his father's um, moral failure, right? But think of it, Ham must have been there right alongside Noah, building the ark the whole time. And Ham would have seen the people mocking his dad, the people speaking uh, bad things over to his dad. And Ham eventually sees that in the end, his father was right the whole time. His father was vindicated. But yet, he chooses the, chooses the wrong path. So friends, you need to choose your faith for yourself. Jesus wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want a relationship through um, your family. He wants a relationship with you. One other lesson that we learned, we wanna to talk to God about our temptations. Um, you know, when we're tempted, let's just actually cry out to the Lord. It seems that many times in our sin or in our prayer life, we actually talk to God after we sin. Lord, forgive me that I did that. Please help me not to do it the next time. But Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, he says to talk to God about your temptations, Lord. He, he, he says um, we should pray, you know, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. So when you're in a moment and you're feeling tempted, cry out to, the God, cry out to God and say, God, help me. I'm feeling tempted. I don't want to do this. I don't want to give in, right? But 
This is um, a sad note to kind of end Lo Noah's life story on, you know, it, you know, but because it, it says actually that Noah went on to live, um, you know, a, a few hundred more years and then he died. But even with this sad note in Hebrews 11, it still says that in holy reverence, he built an ark to save his family, right? So Noah, in the end, Noah is remembered as a family man, right? And he's remembered as a man willing to follow what God says, even with something he couldn't fathom. He saved his family and he did receive the righteousness that comes with faith. Now, we all want to finish strong. And Noah didn't have the last uh, part of his journey really documented strongly. But he's still remembered as a family man in Hebrews 11. So in the end, for followers of Jesus, you know, it's not our mistakes or regrets that define us. It's the faithfulness of God, right? God spoke to Noah and he speaks to us through his word. And so we can learn things through this word. We can learn, learn things through Noah's triumph and his failures, right? And we learn that we can trust the Lord. We can trust what he says. And we are actually empowered through the Holy Spirit to live it out. So let, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to just uh, realize, dear God, that, um, Lord, we need you. And you have a purpose for us, just as Noah's purpose was to help with the recreation of the land. Lord, you have a purpose for both myself and for every person hearing this right now to live out. Lord, we do just pray, dear God, that we will be empowered by your Holy Spirit. We pray that we'll show the grit needed, Lord, to just continue on for the long term and to finish strong. And Lord, we also le learn through Noah's sin that we're vulnerable and we make mistakes, dear God. So please forgive us for when we sin, Lord. Help us to make the best choices that we can make, dear, dear Lord. And uh, God, so for each and every one of my friends, let us just learn about this story of Noah that also points to your second coming and that one day you will return, Lord, and you will make all things new, including the human heart. And we say all these things in Jesus' name, amen.